everybody, I'm Anders Bolling. Welcome to this episode of Mind the Shift, which is recorded in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Uh, and um, my guest is not online, but here in person, in real life. Welcome to the program, Lars Mool. Thank you. Uh, and I'm really happy to um, get the opportunity to meet you here, um, where you're lecturing and holding uh, workshops for a couple of days. I discovered you fairly recently, actually. And uh, let me see if I can pinpoint a very brief description of your sojourn here on planet Earth so far. As far as I understand, you're a musician and uh, an actor who has turned- No, I'm not an actor. You haven't been an actor? Never. Okay, so that was a misunderstanding, but you're a musician from the beginning. Yeah. And you turned a mystic healer and a writer. Mm -hmm. Would you say that that's about right? I mean, it's very hard to define what what this kind of work is. So I guess that could be as good as anything else you could come up with. Okay, and you have written many books. I have. I'm I'm in the process of reading four of them actually simultaneously. Mm. Uh, there is this um, trilogy, mm -hmm. the old manuscript, which consists of three three books really. Yeah. So I'm reading that and uh, they were released in the early 2000s, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Then you've written a book called The Law of Light, The Wisdom of a Broken Heart and um, and others. Uh, not all are translated into English. No, right? I have done uh, around 22 books in 22. Danish. In Danish. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but some of them are, only some of them are are translated, you know, because... Yeah. It's 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 a huge work to translate such things. It is. Mm. And now the latest one is this beautiful little, what I would call a spiritual guidebook, mm -hmm. the God Formula, beautiful little book which I'm also reading right now, and uh, came out last year. I, I understand. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I want to talk about what made what uh, happened in your life that that made you come to this kind of. Um, mm -hmm. activity and this kind of life that you're leading now yeah. and I want to talk about the uh, the person that has been your primary teacher in life your primary life teacher who you call the, the seer mm -hmm. but before that I want to uh, back up a little bit uh, you were in midlife I think when you when you really changed your life path to, to do these things you could say that and but but you had memories and experiences already when you were a child that one would perhaps described as, as mystical. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. my I was 10 years old and my sister, little sister was six years old and she died from a brain tumor during operation in the hospital. And that caused such a shock for me that from that moment on, I my whole life changed overnight. You know, I started to develop uh, a very, I, I became very sensitive. It was like a veil was drawn aside and I was starting to be aware of other people's pains there. I could identify with their troubles and see through them. When grown up people said one thing, I could hear that they meant something different and I could not make up why they said one thing and did something different, you know? Mm. And it was very scary for me. I stopped going to school at that age. And um, I just, uh, 
went by myself. And um, you were 10 years old? Yeah. Okay. And nobody knew really what to do with a boy like me at that time. If, if it had been today, I probably had a diagnosis of ADHD or whatever they call it yeah. and given medicine. And so, but at that time, they did not, absolutely did not know what to do. And that was my luck. Mm-hmm. Because what happened was was act, actually what was needed, you know, to let me be, yeah. you know. So I started to one winter day. I was uh, roaming this, my hometown and the woods around it, and uh, it was winter. And suddenly it was so cold, so I needed this a place. This is in Denmark. So yeah, okay. it, I needed a place to 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 go. So there was a church, and the door was open. So I went in. There was music, there was an organist playing, and I was so astonished, you know, of the music, Bach and Messian and Buxtehude and all these great masters playing this uh, organ music. So I found out where all the organists in all the churches, what days they were rehearsing around our house. So on Mondays, I went to that church, the next day to that, and Wednesday to that church. You know, so every day I could go and just sit and listen to this music. And that was my healing and my musical education. Mm. So that was how I became, when suddenly, you know, this is the 60s now we are talking, okay. and uh, the Beatles started and all this. And um, I knew I had to find out how to be in this world because I could not handle ordinary things, you know. Despite that, I have had loads of jobs, you know. But I was only a guest here. I, you I did felt not, as a guest in... Yeah, I, I, I never really felt that I belonged here. No. So um, I became member of a band, and that was the start of a, a life in, um, in music business, you know. Not because I've had any ambition, but I needed a place to be. Yeah. And while I was there, already as 15 years old, I started to study all the spiritual, spiritual masters and all the spiritual traditions. And I did that all the way through up till when I met the seer. So I, I have prepared all my life. You were pre- very prepared. But you have described some, some where that this was the kind of an intellectual knowledge. Oh, knowledge yeah, yeah, of course. You, when you... You know, you see, I already had this opening towards the, you know, the 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 spiritual yeah. sphere, so to speak. But I wanted to be normal. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, I can raise my So, so I tried first and foremost to read about what is this, you know, because nobody could give me an answer. You know, when I was fourteen years old, I received a, a, a letter, and within it there was a small book from. About it was written uh, of um, by um, the Sufi master Hasrat Inayat Khan, and there was no sender on the on the envelope. So to this day, I don't know who sent it. it. But that book became my opening into studying. When I opened it, the first thing that met my eyes was I just opened it randomly. If you will approach us. We will bow down and lift you up. That was the word. And to me, that was, you know, a message from above, from the angels telling me, you are not alone. And if you will try to find us, we will bow down and lift you up. So that became a kind of uh, mantra for me. Okay, 
I need to find out what that means. Mm. How can I approach them? And I tried different things, but you know, at the same time, I was also involved more and more in the music with the band I was playing. For example, in 1969, I was 18 years old. We went for a tour to Israel to play there for a few months. And of course, for me, that was a totally opening because there I met uh, the Essenes, you know, Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, all this that I had been part of in a former lifetime. And that was my first meeting in this life with all this tradition. And that became my focus from then on. But I did not really practice anything. I tried this, I tried that, but, you know, I needed somebody to to convince my intellectual side what this was really all about, you know. I, I was trying to understand it, you know, but actually you don't have to understand Because it. Because you had all along, or would you say that you all along had a sense that this is not not really what you're supposed to be doing here, mm-hmm. but you you need to do something, so you continued playing think, music. And... I think the, what I was doing there was what I could do at the time mm-hmm. and what I should do. Uh, because I, later on I understood that it was an education in how to stand up and present something, you know, when you have been on a stage the most of your life performing music, then you are not afraid of going up there anymore. No. And you have been through all the, uh, you know, the childish stuff, you know, about being a star or ego stuff and all that. Mm-hmm. And and you come to a point where you find out that there's absolutely no value in it. There's no, it's not what it's all about. So, but you know, you need to, to know your, how to, to go about this, you know, mm-hmm. when you go up on the stage and you present things and you find out that you cannot connect with the audience if you're not honest, mm-hmm. you have to genuinely be there. Mm-hmm. And if you have nothing to offer, don't go there. Then it is just pretentious, you know. Then you just pretend to be something that you want. You need to have something that is worth people's times, you know. If you call for people to come, listen here, I have something. You're invited to come and people come. You you need to have something, you know, that is of value. Or else those people will just go away and they will never come back. And they will say... That was just another fraud, you know. And I think that is what this is very much about for me to to really be genuine to myself also and my what I do, you know. To go back a little bit to childhood again, I think you you have also mentioned one incident or incident one episode where you said to your mother, you, you said this yesterday. I was at your I was at Lars's lecture yesterday evening, and then he mentioned an episode where he, you told your mother, or you said to your mother, I, I think you were younger than than 10 years. Yeah, I think you were only six or something. You said to eight her, years old. Or eight years old. Mother, I think this is so primitive. Yeah, he, uh, he said that. Yeah, I really found it. And it primitive. really came from, from mm-hmm. the heart. I yeah. Guess. yeah. And I don't know how, why, but I, I, I feel that it, it was genuinely because I thought that why I'm here, you know, why why do I come down in this frequency? Yeah. And you did, know, did you have memories from previous lives or anything like that? Not uh, consciously. Not no, consciously. no, no. I had a lot of dreams, and I think we all have at that yeah. time, you know, 
that have something to do with that, but we don't process it and we, we are not able to reflect intellectually into it. But I'm sure we have a lot of uh, stuff coming in, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I know Rudolf Steiner and I also Edgar Casey are talking about that the first seven years of our life, everything that we are going through there, you know, all the, the games we are playing with other children have something to do with our former lifetimes. Okay. We, are, we are doing that over again in the, okay. in the games we play. So you know, that's the and I think very much when, when boys are being warriors and cowboys and whatever, it has something to do with something that we have done so many times in our lifetime, being, you know, masculine and being warriors and, you know, have to fight for mm. our country or fight for our family mm. or fight for ourselves, you know, or whatever, you know. I think it lies so deep within the masculine. Interesting that you say the age six or seven there, because uh, I've heard other people in this in this uh, uh, line of work as maybe it's the wrong expression, but anyway, people like Joe Dispenza and uh, Bruce Lipton. I don't know if you're familiar with those uh, no. uh, freelancing independent researchers into into spiritual things and, and the connection between spirituality and science. Mm -hmm. And they are talking about the brain waves that. Between the age of zero and about seven, mm -hmm. the brainwaves are mainly in theta. So it's like you're in hypnosis and, mm -hmm. and everything you've been taught then mm. stays, so mm -hmm. to speak, because you, yeah. you don't start self-reflecting until you're maybe seven mm -hmm. or so. Okay. Which which may, which is interesting that you say say this about. But what do you think? Do you think we all come into this world with, uh, like you say, memories from, from previous lives and that we uh gradually pull the veil on top of us when yes. we are like two three four years old and, and before I that maybe we may, or do we actually forget everything even before we we enter this world it's a combination of both i think okay i think a lot of, of, of people have some kind of re remembrance that they bring within with them into this incarnation but the social conditioning the well-meaning people that are welcoming us into this world, our, our family, our parent, that want to, to do the best for us, they misunderstand a lot of things there. And they, they want to us be, to nor, be normal, you know? Yeah. And because, you know, we cannot have, oh, no, don't do that because we don't do that here, you know? So a lot of things maybe will be, you take them back, you hold back on a lot of things. Maybe you, actually the purpose of your life, you're holding back on it and you're not developing into what you were, what you were actually supposed the, the to do. So, to yeah. so, you know, there's a lot of things that hopefully, I hope that um, there will happen something now that we start to understand that we need to find a whole new frequency and raise the bar and free people. Yeah. from these bonds, you know. But don't you think that the, the general purpose of, I mean, I don't know more than anybody else, of course, probably less about what, what life really is at, at its core and where we come from and all that. But I, I do believe that there is something that we come from and that we go to. But I hear often that the, the purpose of being here in this 3D world is that we should forget who we are in order to be able to grow to 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 have our souls grow. Uh, yeah, that's an idea you can believe in, or you can or not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
it's all right for me. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying I believe it, but mm. but uh, you hear that a lot. Okay, and uh, I, I don't know about it. No. But if we do forget, then then something happened on the way. I, I we don't forget anything. It's there. It's we are always conditioned there. to forget it. We yeah, I think so. It's all there. Yeah, and it will pop up if you need the information in the situation if it's serious enough. But it has always been there. And it will always be there. You yeah. will take it with you and you will come back in some other form or wherever you are going. And um, you'll bring this knowledge with you. There's no doubt about it. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the, the seer and yeah. when you met him, what he mm -hmm. has meant for you, who, who he was and in what context you met him and what he has meant for you. Yeah. I was uh, withdrawing from the from music business and uh, living in a small island in Denmark called Samsø. And uh, I started to, to write books there, right? I've always been writing way back since I was a kid. You know, I have oh. written uh, journals of my, everything I went through after my sister died, you know, it's all there, you know. Okay. So I have always been writing. And um, so it was also actually my second book called Zoe. That was the cause of me meeting this year. But I did not know that before, long after, a year after I met him. But uh, the second book I wrote was in 1993. And my, a good friend of mine, the, the, the woman who connected me to him when I was sick and needed somebody to, to do something, he, she gave that book to him because he was very fond of that book. And that book was my first book that was kind of a result of stream of consciousness. Mm -hmm. I was just writing. Mm -hmm. And in that book, I foresee, I prophesy my meeting with this man in the, in the, in the, the Pyrenees, you see, and a lot of other things. And, but I did not know that before a long time after. So I got sick and I lay in bed for three years until this friend of mine connected me to the seer. And in a telephone um, conversation, five minutes, uh, he told me, okay, I will fix that. I will see you in half a year. And uh, until then, everything will be all right. And then he hung up. And a few minutes later, I felt a, a, a quiet knocking in my neck. And then I was so tired afterwards, I went to sleep, slept for two hours, woke up, and I was completely fresh. Oh, you were healed. My, my, my world, who had been in black and white for three years, was suddenly in color. I could hear the, the birds sing in the other end of the island. I mean, it was yeah, just a and, and you had been very, very sick for I several just, years. Nobody knew what I was. I was just lying in bed and I really had pains and I was really down and out. So, yeah, he did that. And then uh, after half a year, I, uh, he asked me to come to Montségur. And um, he took me in as uh, his apprentice. And I started to work with him from day one. And... After the first week, he sent me back home to quit music business mm. and to do it so effectively that there was no way back for me, which was really difficult, you know, because yeah, I, uh, I earned good money there and I had a reputation, you know, and, 
an ID, you know. So, but anyway, I knew that was the only way to do. So the only thing, the right thing to do. And then he asked me to stay home on the island for half a year without doing anything, just being. And that was the hardest part, yeah. really hard. And if I managed that, he asked me to come down to Spain. And that was the real beginning of my apprenticeship with him for almost nine years until he died in 2007. So that's the, the short version of that. Yeah. And um, as you said, he was a man who never really read that much, but he had practiced a lot. Mm. And I came with all my knowledge and I haven't practiced anything really. So I, from him, I learned what the value of practicing and what it really was. And uh, one thing you, you were complimentary in that sense. Yeah, I really thought, think so. And um, he, um, so one day when I was, when I, when we were working in, in his home in Spain, in Fiorentola, I had a small uh, room there in his apartment. And in that room was a small bookshelf. That was all his books. And one of them was this book, Zoe that I have written. So yeah, I thought, yeah. hmm, what is this? So I took it and I went to him. What, what is this? I said, I, I did not know you were reading a good literature. <laughs> okay. He said, yeah, that book is actually, that is uh, why you are here. And then he, he said, yeah, he, I like that book. Mm. Because, uh, so and from that moment on, he called me always the scribe. And he told me I have been... Uh, uh, a scribe at the Essene and been writing, being one of those who wrote uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls and all these things, you know. Wow. So um, that's cool. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's just. <laughs> well, it's very crucial. Mm -hmm. Those those uh, documents are very crucial. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I want to talk about those, of course, um, mm -hmm. because you are. You are writing a lot about these that information that got lost mm -hmm. uh, that we found uh, uh, some years after the Second World War in in uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls and also in Nag Hammadi in Egypt. Exactly. All these these uh, lost documents that were yep. supposed to be parts of the Bible, or they weren't supposed to be that, but mm. they were not included in the Bible. No, anyway. exactly. And you you seem to have uh, contributed to, in this world very much by wanting to retell the message of Jesus and Mary Magdalene, as we often say, but you, you say Yeshua and Mariam the Magdalene, which is mm. more correctly mm -hmm. uh, interpreted from their names. And, and this, this message is radically different from the message of the, the official church, conveyed by the official church. Or in essence, it's the message of the Essenes, which you mentioned, whom you mentioned here, mm -hmm. the keepers of light. So tell us about, uh, this is a big question, but... But what is the significance of Yeshua and uh, Mariam, the Magdalene? What what did they actually want to convey to us, which is different from, from what we hear in school and in, in church? First and foremost, the importance of integrating the masculine and the feminine. And this not only being a matter of between man and woman, it has something to do with a code, a creative code that is when everything was created, it was the merging of a plus and a minus, mm. you know, a yin and a yang that became one, you know. And that was their way of telling. They were 
actually, there is a German author that I really like very much called Franz Alt, who wrote a wonderful book about uh, Jesus being the first new man and Mary Magdalene, the first new woman. And that was already in the 80s. And I remember right, uh, reading it, I, it, it really ignited something in me because it made me understand some of the scriptures like, like uh, the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Philip, where a lot of things about uh, masculine and feminine are mentioned, you know. And to understand what is the meaning of all this, the bridal chamber and the merging of this two, you know. And that's exactly what I think they they were all about. They tried to to embody and manifest each one an archetypical masculine and feminine, mm. showing people if this is how it's going to be done. You know, you see. And of course, there was so much in front of their time. You know. Of course. And uh, at the same time, they wanted to set people free from all kind of a religious, traditional religious bounding that had something to do with the temple in Jerusalem, you know, with the, yeah. the Sadducees and the Pharisees who very much wanted to, to bind people, you know, and keep them, you know, in their grip of power, you know, mm. and, and receive the taxes and all this mm. thing, you know. But of course... The Essenes had other agendas. They wanted to be servants to people. You know? So the problem being for the priesthood in Jerusalem was that ordinary people always went to the Essenes for help because they were healers and they did not take any money or anything. Yeah. And Yeshua was educated by them as John the Baptist, Johannan Baptist was. So, but, but this knowledge that they conveyed... Mm -hmm. Jesus and Magdalena, and, and, and others also, but mm -hmm. these, these two uh, people were very, very pivotal. They, this knowledge has been suppressed mm -hmm. for ages, yeah. not, not, not only since then, but even before that. Mm -hmm. I think it was suppressed in, in, in yeah, Egypt yeah. and, and of in course. other places. Yeah. Why has it been suppressed? Because it takes away the worldly power of kings and politicians and priests that want power for their own sake. Because spiritual science, which I would call it mm. instead of religion, spiritual science is above everything. Because spiritual science tell you, tell everybody who's interested, not only a cho some chosen few, here is a map, a roadmap from earth to heaven, metaphorically speaking, to your own inner kingdom, how to go about it. Yeah. Follow my example, said Yeshua, and you can do even greater wonders than mm. I. He was not talking about churches or uh, things like that, institutions. He was talking about setting one the man churches. free. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The kingdom of heaven is within you. Mm. And uh, that was the message of both of them. And they embodied that. They tried to show that in the way they were living, the way they were conducting with each other. And you can read in the in the um, Gospel of Philip from Nakamadi, that uh, Mary Magdalene was the chosen one that he often kissed on the mouth, telling us that they were not only married, but she was only a highly initiated woman. So, um, Because normally married people didn't do No, that. no, no, no. They did not uh, go around and were intimate in, no. in uh, public. 
but uh, kissing each other on the mouth was a way of recognizing another initiated one and revering that one also, mm. like the kiss of Judas, for example. Yeah. So um, there's so many, you know, when you start to connect the dots of everything written about them, mm. here, there, and everywhere, you get a clear picture. Yeah. And there's no way around it. No. Not only, you cannot come back, yeah, but we have, we have, we have uh, a theory and we have had that for thousands of years yet. Stuff your theory, yes, because Doesn't here, if it starts he, he, now we have some scriptures that tell something different. Mm. Scriptures that have been lying there for almost 2,000 years, so don't give us any kind of shit now. Mm. Let's start here. And I don't really don't understand why you are not taking all this new knowledge into the church mm. if you want to. to kind of want to have the church going into the new times, you know, mm -hmm. if it has any purpose, any it, must, yeah. it must pick up the very teachings, you know, and now the inner teachings, instead of being a, a museum or mm. uh, whatever it, it tries to be, you know. Are you, are you sometimes having discussions about this with church people? Oh, yeah. What, what I'm also they, invited to, to church. They, yeah, you are? I'm also having priests in Denmark coming to my workshops. What do they say about these things? They want a lot of them want to know more to about it. You want yeah, to change? But of course, they're not allowed to because they have a circulation that is very, you know, code of conduct that is very, you know, stiff and rigid. But I mean, if they were to integrate all this knowledge, mm -hmm. this ancient, this real, true knowledge about mm -hmm. who we are at the mm -hmm. core then we wouldn't need churches, as you say, and we wouldn't even need Christianity. No, there wouldn't you, you be see, anything called Christianity. I, you know, or, it, it, you know the so way of Yeshua was never called Christianity. It no. was called those of the way. Yeah. It was the Romans who, who nicknamed them Christians, yeah. those who believe in the Messiah, because Messiah is the anointed one. Mm. So that was just a nickname for them. Themselves, they called it the way. Mm. Yeah, the one only. The way. Yeah, the way. That is, we are the ones of the way, you know, and that is something that you should remember that Christianity wasn't even invented at the time of Yeshua. He had never heard about it. No, he did not know what it was. No, in in the the way we understand it today, it was invented along the way and instituted 325 years after he died. So, see, it's. Um, Yeah, I know it was the church fathers who really yeah. created the Christianity. Exactly, it was not God and it was not Jesus. No, 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 no. Just... And it was also them who condemned all the scriptures that didn't yeah. uh, fit into the picture they wanted to create. But would you say that I mean there are so many spiritual, uh, spiritually awakened people all through history in different cultures. But the, we, we know about the Christian culture and, the, and the, what happened in the Middle East a lot. And you have studied this and you have focused a lot of, of, on this, of mm -hmm. course. Your books are a lot about Yeshua and, and Miriam and all yeah. that. But would you say that, that this is, is because of your interest in, in those two figures? Or are they actually more pivotal than others, perhaps, all through history? You, they, I mean, you can compare it with the Buddha or... Yeah, they are teachers. And actually, there is uh, there's deep knowledge about the soul of Yeshua. That he was the first soul. Um, he was representing the very first soul that incarnated. Mm -hmm. 
but you see the real mystery that we must not miss is the is the the crucifixion which have been a, debated a lot you know did it happen or did it not no he was stoned or he he lived on after that and all these things yes there was a resurrection but you, we have to know about what was the crucifixion the, a lot of things in the bible are metaphorical but this happened in real life he was crucified yeah and he also was resurrected but the crucifixion was in the same way as it was real happening it was also a metaphor you can read in the bible the moment that he he said when he was hanging on the cross he said mm. father i hereby commit myself my spirit in your hands just think about it whenever we are standing facing a problem a real real life problem we tend to give up you know like i give up you know yeah surrender what he says is he gives it up you know i hereby commit my spirit in your hand he give it up in the same moment when he gave his spirit up a lightning comes down in the temple in jerusalem and split the veil to the holy of the holies in two so the holy of the holies is exposed totally exposed mary the magdalene is standing right at the foot of the cross she's instrumental in this she knows this she knows what this is all about that is why i in that song of mary the magdalene is uh, because i saw that you know mm-hmm. i saw you there standing trembling by the cross you were the thunder and the lightning that ripped the veil apart in the holy of the holies you were opening our hearts this is a metaphor for when the veil comes down when you give something up and you crucify your ego and you give yourself to god then that veil will come down like like a thunder and lightning and rip that veil mm-hmm. apart and your heart will open up like a flower the holy of the holies will be opened everything that you have been working on with spirituality is happening in that moment that you are able to give up your ego crucified mm. and give yourself to god to think about it yeah that is so beautiful then comes the resurrection after three days mary magdalene goes to the grave he's not there anymore there's only the the shroud the shroud that we today know as the shroud of turin which is another proof of his resurrection and how that went you know yeah you know that yeah. we have all the things like and yet we don't understand it we we construct all kinds of weird stories about what it is yeah, and what it, because we don't because we, we knew about crucifixion what that was and we was, don't understand you know the deep the depth of the, the levels of what we are being presented for and though it's so simple yeah it's there and this is something that is possible for every so of course follow my example and you can do even greater wonders than i is is it the same thing as others would call awakening would you say it is to be reborn yeah it is to be born again and this is something can be done over and over every time you forget it we must do it once more 
to give it up. To give it all up, yeah. Yes, it's it's so simple and so hard for mm -hmm. a three-dimensional human being. But it's it's very beautiful if you see it that way. So the God formula, this little mm -hmm. book here, is uh, the formula that you have found mm -hmm. is, as far as I understand what you were talking about earlier here, a, a unification of polarities, yep. as masculine, feminine, and God, mm -hmm. or what would you call the, the, you the could source? Say, or, yeah, yeah, exactly. And if those are combined... If those two are combined so that the masculine is not masculine, the fem feminine is not feminine, they mm. become one. They can move mountains. Yeah. They kind of accept and take responsibility for the image of God within them. And becoming one doing that, then they can move mountains, then they enter the kingdom of heaven and can do whatever is needed to be done. Sounds a little bit like the Trinity in the in the church, you know, Father, Son, and Holy maybe, Spirit. What, what, what do you make of yeah, that? Yeah, another misunderstanding yeah. Of, of, of power. So you mean, maybe it's the same thing, but they just re they twist twisted yeah, it. Yeah, because they yeah. did not want any feminine yeah. in there. That's true. Hmm. Okay, so um, this is fascinating. Um, we could talk, of course, hours about the life of Jesus and mm. Mary Magdalene. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about... Um, the current times. Yeah. <clears throat> I saw that in a recent blog post here, you you um, you spoke about uh, our propensity to to follow charismatic leaders, mm -hmm. especially in time of crisis, and and to uh, accept norms and solutions that would otherwise have been unacceptable. Mm -hmm. um, and Carl Gustav Jung, you mentioned him also in some context. Yeah, many do, and, and I love I love him. And his work. And he talked about psychic epidemics. Mm -hmm. Would you say that we are right now in a <clears throat> in a psychic pandemic rather than a virus pandemic? Yeah, very much more so. so no? Very much so. Yeah. So what? And we have been for for many many years. Yeah. We have been. I it's mean, not just the condition. No, that we no, have right no. Now. That it started already in the late 1800s, beginning of 1900s, with all the industrial. Okay, so there Roman. was a shift. Yeah, there was a big shift there because um, at the same time there was a, 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 a huge awakening with with Blavatsky and Steiner and all these kind of movements that was and Carl Gustav Jung and there was also this industrial movement that really was set in move mm. movement there and and you see the results now. It is the industries, the big industries that that uh, that are setting the. I mean, mm -hmm. they they are having the power for everything. They they can dictate whatever is going to happen. Mm. You know? I and talked that, to a friend yesterday, and <laughs> she said that there's a there's a Dutch guy who has made a video where he concludes that every company in the world is owned by only two mm -hmm. big corporations. Yeah. Uh, so uh, and and he has done the work, you know, go, gone into the stock markets and looked at mm. the ownership of every company. And exactly. Too. Yeah. It's really, it's really fascinating. Many people have conspiracy theories about what's going on, what's really happening. You know about this that there are some entities pulling strings, and I don't know what you what you think about those theories. I I, I, I don't think they are theories. Mm. Of course, there's sometimes. Maybe something that is 
a little bit over the edge, yeah. but in in overall, this has been long before any pandemic or whatever they call it. Mm. This has been going on for so many years. Mm. It's just been building up, building up. And now money talks everywhere. Mm. You can buy anybody almost to get them to do anything you want, you know. Yeah. That's a sad thing about it, you know, because nobody believes in God anymore. Nobody, only very few know what God is, really. They, they, they don't know about the consciousness, the God consciousness. They don't want know about what they are playing with. You know? mm. But would you say that people, that people were closer to God in two, three hundred years ago? No, some were. Some weren't. Mm. Hmm? That has always been that the problem, you know. Yeah. And uh, but the the understanding of what God is have changed, mm. you know, and will change, must change, have to change, because now people, more and more people, understand that what before was taken literally was metaphorical, you know. Yeah. And the Bible is very much. I mean, already in. At the time of Jesus, there was this um, Jewish philosopher, Philo, Philo, living in Alexandria, said, you must not read the Old Testament or the, the, yeah, the, the, the five books of Moses, the Torah, mm. and take it literally. It is metaphorical speaking. Mm. They knew all about that. I mean, they were masters of metaphors, mm. the Essenes mm. and people like that. And that is why we haven't moved forward actually in that now we can we have electric electricity and all these kinds of all small gadgets and all this it's very good but i mean they have become god you know this has become god but there is another light than electric light mm. you know there is consciousness on a higher level but i mean if we were to completely connect to our higher selves we wouldn't really need to be in the three-dimensional world at all so i mean one could think that as long as we are here in this physical world, we need some physical uh, aids and of course and, and things. There's nothing wrong with that, but the like, problem like electricity, of course. That. But the problem arises when that becomes God. Yeah, you know, every new electric gadget is the the new God. Yes, you know, so I understand. Speak. Oh, have you got the new uh, version of this or that? You yeah. know, no. Oh, I must have it. You know? <laughs> yes. And when you have that, you would just you sit down and wait for the next one. Yeah. You know. And, you know, this is just a continuous thing of going nowhere, absolutely nowhere. Mm. Because if you miss the other thing, I mean, it's just emptiness. Yeah. You mentioned yesterday, uh, because I wonder if, if you think that we perhaps are at a crucial moment in, in history. Um, you mentioned yesterday uh, in your lecture, uh, or, or, yeah, you mentioned the, what's called the, the, the big reset, mm -hmm. the big reset, and you can, of course, interpret that in different ways, I guess. But one of the tenets of this this podcast is that um, it's called Mind the Shift, and and one of the tenets is that tenets is that um, <clears throat> we are in a big shift because humankind is integrating, truly integrating, for the first time in history, as far as we know. I mean, there might have been civilizations tens of thousands of years ago that, mm -hmm. that perished and we don't know about those but, yeah. but as far as we know <clears throat> we have never been integrating as we are now so the whole globe knows in real time what is happening on the other side of the globe yeah. you know what i mean uh, so 
in my view and in 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 the view of this podcast you could, you could say that it's both truth and not truth because there's happening a lot of things for example in australia that ordinary people here in europe don't know anything about why because the media is not promoting it yeah. so you but see there are other channels you can you can look at yeah you know, but you see i know media. what you mean mm. but you should remember that despite the freedom mm. of everything we are being more and more limited in what is is actually allowed to say you know and to you cannot we are living in a time you cannot ask critical questions without being called a conspiracy theorist mm. you cannot uh, i mean this is really a problem i know yeah i agree so so but, yeah but you know <clears throat> i think maybe this the, the reason why you why you say this is perhaps that that you it's so obvious now because because we are integrated we are global so mm-hmm. when this problem arises you can't flee anywhere no nope. i mean 50 years ago you could always go to another country mm-hmm. and nobody would know that you were there and you could start exactly. all over again and you could have your mm-hmm. other kinds of means of communication mm-hmm. but now you can't do that because you you are connected with every other part mm-hmm. of the world exactly and you can't get away mm-hmm. so then the problem becomes more salient mm-hmm. and and perhaps this is a I mean, depending on what you want with humankind, but it could be a good thing that it comes up to the surface because mm-hmm. it's so obvious that we are being of course, controlled yeah. as you're talking. Yeah. So then maybe something can happen. Hopefully. Yeah. But it takes waking up and doing something yes. about it, you know, yeah. to change it. Yeah. But maybe we're we're in for it. I don't know. We will have to see. Do you see signs of this? Yeah, I I, I believe that something will happen that will change things maybe overnight but i mean we have for instance western science which seems pretty intransigent when it comes to you know that matter is primary and the mm-hmm. consciousness is produced by the brain but uh, <laughs> i i've been i've been interviewing several people who are i mean there there is a movement there is a movement of maverick and independent scientists who are actually understanding that this mm. is not true the truth of course and they're working i mean einstein knew that uh, yes nils bohr, nils bohr david and, david bohm exactly all these people yeah. they knew about max planck yeah they knew all about that mm. and the, the the funny thing is that what i call ordinary scientists that really want to make a name for themselves that they don't understand in order to make that name yeah and be already original they have to dare cross boundaries yeah. they have to go from the physical to the metaphysical because there's no real answers in the world of questions in order to have answers you must go to the world of answers and if you stay in the world of questions you can only get limited quest- uh, answers you know so it's really really i mean this is childish stuff you know yeah even children know us about it you know So we are really living in 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 many in many ways in a primitive time still. Really. You knew what you were saying when you were eight years old. Exactly. I tend to agree actually. Mm-hmm. So I love this world, but I, I can I can understand that what you're saying. It is primitive. Just think about we are 2021. We're supposed to to be smarter than this. Yeah. What have happened? Yeah. We have still a lot of people suffering and and greed and wars and stuff, and we are richer than we have ever been. Yeah, but what what have this brought with us? We can be we are sitting here in our dying in our own comfort, you know. 
without even coming near to our the essence of who we really are and what we were sent here to do. I mean, this is like hell in a way, you know. Hmm. Hell is also not a place, it's a state of being. Of course, it's a state of being. Like heaven, hmm? just like heaven. Wonderful. Last Moon, where can people, the listeners, the viewers, find your work and your books? Yeah, I would suggest you could go to my website, which is lastmool.com, and there you can read more and find where to go. And my English books is out on Watkins Publishing, that can be bought in all English-speaking countries. Uh, my friend's books is out in Flammarion in France, and uh, my German books in Kamphausen, and my uh, Dutch book in Edicola. Uh, I don't remember if there's any name for that publishing company here, but the the uh, it said Edicola on my books, you know. Okay. But I think there's a, a, that's an, an under what do you call it? Another uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know the word yeah. either. But anyway. anyway. It's in Dutch also. My books are also in Korean, in Serbia, in Russian, and uh, some uh, in Spanish. Uh, right. All the Spanish-speaking countries. Yeah. They they are out everywhere and can be. But those of you who want to read all Lars's books, you you need to know some Danish. Mm. The Law of Lights, the Gate of Light, the God Formula is out. Yeah. In, and also my book, Chaksuluma, is out in Dutch. Oh, the good. only place beside Danish it's out here mm -hmm. in, in Holland. Mm -hmm. And that's a very important book for me also, Chaksuluma. It's a novel about a, or a vision about a female messiah and about the time we are living in right now. It was written in 2012 yeah. and was a prophecy about what would happen and we are right in it now. Okay. That book is that about that. What was the title again? Taxo Luma. Taxo Luma. It's the girl who came to save the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. Gotta read that one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Last moon. I'm so grateful that you took your time to, Thank you. to speak to me and to mind the shift, to mind the shift audience. And good luck now with all your light work out there. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Mm -hmm.